Tonight I would like to look at a subject uh, of praying with purpose and power. The Bible has a lot to say about praying, doesn't it? Jesus talks a lot about prayer. And one of the worst things that can ever take place in our lives is when we pray without purpose and when we, when we pray in vain. Uh, Jesus taught about praying with purpose, the important about praying with purpose. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says, When you pray to these disciples, don't use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And I want to call to your attention to this verse tonight, in verse 8, where Paul says to Timothy, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting. <clears throat> but before we get to that verse, because I believe it has a lot to say regarding prayer, Paul begins to you know, encourage Timothy in verse 1. Have a look. He encourages him, or he exhorts him to pray. That prayer be made, he says, first of all. And Paul gives several forms of prayer, patterns that relate to each other, that have to do with our approach to God, our attitude toward the Lord. We're going to see that uh, in a moment. There are several forms of prayer we see in the scripture, but there are about four in our passage today. And so we see, as we go through this, we're going to see five things tonight regarding prayer. I'll go through them as we get into the sermon. First of all, we see in the beginning, verse 1, the priority of prayer. He says, I exhort thee, first of all, he says, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. God does desire holy men, but he also desires praying men. Men that will seek his face. You know, if prayer is not a priority, then there's a problem, isn't it? Sometimes we, when we think about prayer meeting or think about praying, we think it to be a burden more than a blessing. And that's a bit sad that we come to that point of our lives that we think prayer to be a burden instead of a blessing. It has a lot to say with our relationship with God, doesn't it? It's a reflection. If we don't feel like praying is one thing, but not praying at all is certainly another thing. And so <clears throat> over here, Paul stresses the importance to Timothy that first of all, supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all Men. Now, I'm going to just look at these several uh, nouns given, four of them. Supplications. What is that? Supplications. Supplications means to put forth our petitions before God. Means to put forth our needs. Uh, to come with petitions. Uh, specific prayer points. Sometimes when we pray, we pray in a general sense. We say, God, be with us. But in what way? How do you want God to be with us? We, a brother comes and says, pray for me. How can I pray for you? So supplication puts forth a petition before God very specifically. And so this is very important because we want something to take place in our brother's life. You know, just general prayer, yeah, I pray for such and such. Well, what are we praying for? There has to be a need. And so supplication put, puts forth a, a need before God and... and, and uh, Philippians chapter 4, we see that be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, letting, with thanksgiving, letting your what? Requests be made known to God. So it's just putting forth our request to God, very specifically, very pointed. And so uh, there's a purpose in praying. And then he says prayers. <clears throat> this reminds us of our sacred communication with God. When we come before God, we're approaching Him to talk to Him. Prayers has to also do with something that we do fervently, uh, consistently. In Acts chapter uh, 2 and verse 42, uh, the, the church prayed uh, steadfastly in prayers. They were steadfastly in prayers, specifically. They prayed, uh, praying fervently. We see the same word used in James 5.17 regarding Elijah. He was subject to like passions. The Bible says that he prayed earnestly. Now, subject to like passions doesn't mean perhaps he had the same desires that we have about certain things. It just simply means that he had the same, you know, frail, uh, you know, disposition 
that every one of us here needs God. Without God. Uh, we like passions. Just a man. Yeah, prophet, but just a man. Needs God. Every one of us needs God. And he prayed earnestly. And so prayers has to do with our dependence upon God. That's why we pray. Because we depended upon him. We need him. And so the Bible says pray without ceasing. Now, obviously, we can't pray without ceasing in such a way where now we're praying because we're, you know, we're preaching and hearing preaching. But pray without ceasing simply means to be in the spirit of prayer. And to be in the spirit of prayer is to always acknowledge God. It's to be in the presence of God. And so he says in prayers. What else? Intercessions. This word means <clears throat> to meet with or to draw near. In other words, we come to God to speak to him or with him in regarding others, on behalf of others. We draw near to him, to commune with him on behalf of others, like Abraham, commune with God as a friend, remember, regarding Sodom and Gomorrah, whether there'll be any righteous there. I mean, if you wanted a perfect example of intercession and Abraham drawing near to God in a very intimate way, it's right there. I mean, he, he was a man that spoke to God very intimately on behalf of others. Another parable that Jesus gives regarding the prayer of an importunate person that prays with importunity. He prays uh, knocking on heaven's door on behalf of others. Intercessions. And we also see with thanksgiving, this has to be included. Thanksgiving is a must. It's a must. I said to a lady yesterday as we're, we're uh, you know, going for outreach and trying to help her understand how much God loves her, I said, you know, you should be appreciative and grateful for God. Number one, God made you. Number, you know, he created you. He gave you life. And number two, he gave his life. And without God, we wouldn't be here. And without God, none of us here will ever have the hope of heaven. There's a lot to thank God for, but these are precious thanking God for life for the breath of life, for eternal life, for his son, and so many other things uh, uh, to pray for. But specifically, he says here, to thanksgiving be made for all men. And there's nothing wrong with thanking God for other people that even have uh, been used by God to work in your life. The Apostle Paul did that. Thanking God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for using that person in my life. Thank you, Lord, for this authority or that authority. Thanking the Lord in all things. Thank you, Lord, that you'd use this evil to, to, to turn something very... Pre you know, God can use evil things that take place in our lives to turn them around into precious things. But there's one thing that you must not do, and that's blame God. Amen. Because you cannot blame God and at the very same time thank God. Thanksgiving. King David practiced this often in the Psalms. You read the Psalms and you see a man that just praised God and thanked God. And we need to be in the habit for this. In verse 1, we see the priority of prayer. And, but at the end of verse 1, we, in, the, in the beginning of verse 2, we see the people of prayer. He says, prayer be made for all men. All men, saved, unsaved, believers, non-believers, Sinners, saints, friends, family, uh, foes, enemies, all men. And in verse 2, he gives specifics. He says here, verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. Now, history records that the wicked empire Nero was in power and on the throne. And he, Paul, is saying to Timothy, encourage the people to pray for a wicked ruler. Wow. A wicked ruler? Why? There has to be a purpose. I mean, it's simply, it's simply, you know, try to encourage. Think about it like this: it's, it's trying to encourage us if we wanted to bring it close to home that we would pray for someone like, perhaps is not as wicked as we seem, but Daniel Andrews. If you know him, he's the the PM for Melbourne. Now, I don't know what I'll do if I was there, but I'll be definitely praying. That's for sure. I'll be praying hard. And there's a reason for that. When someone wants to act like a tyrant and take away liberties, and certain liberties affect our life, the Bible tells us to pray for them very specifically. Those kings and those that are in authority. Why? Because it does affect our lives. Listen, and it does affect our Christian living. 
just recently I heard, and uh, Sister Julie brought it to my attention, and other people, and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to take some time to listen to this new bill that's proposed in Melbourne. So I had a little, you know, peek at it and correct me if I'm wrong. Feel free to just stop me and uh, if I say something, because I don't want to, you know, just get it wrong. But as far as I understand, the bill is this, that he's trying to pass, is that if anybody, including your children, had any tendency uh, to change their gender, there is no one, including you as a parent, that can come and try to coerce them or even convert them or convince them that what you're doing is wrong and God made you this way. You shouldn't change your gender. Uh, this is the way God made you, male. Uh, uh, this is the way uh, God made you, female. If you even dare to try to change or convert them, there's a penalty to be paid. Is that the nuts and bolts of it? Now, but it has a lot of implications to it because this is only the beginning. Uh, the beginning of, of what? Well, the beginning of our free speech being taken away from us. Yes. I mean, we won't be able to preach, or if you're in Melbourne, if you preach against it, they can actually use it against you. And uh, what they're trying to do is, it, you know, really shut God's people's mouths from trying to help people. I mean, even if your child was perplexed, and didn't know what to do. And they came to you by their own free will saying, oh, you know, I need help. Can you help me? And even if you attempt to help them based upon their free will coming to you for help, that is criminal. You can't. So in other words, you have to say you have to work it. It's, you're on your own. You work it out. And you know what? I believe this is done so people can bait us as Christians. And I'm going to just encourage you, brethren, when you're even on the street here, even when the bill's not passed, it doesn't have to be the highlight of our message because it's not. Right. It was never in the preaching of Paul or Jesus. The gospel was center. And so when people come up to me and they say to me very clearly, oh, what do you think about gays? What, what do you, I, I just say, look, I'm just standing where God stands. And God made male and female. And that was it. The guy lost it about three weeks ago. And I just told him I stand where God stands. Didn't even give him my opinion. But I knew that he was trying to bait me. And now I'm asking the Lord to give me wisdom and say, look, you know, that's between you and, uh, you know, your own conscience. But have you ever lied before? Have you ever lied? Have you ever told that? And I try to divert and go to the Ten Commandments. Because they're just going to use this to bait you. I can really see this sinister thing. And so let's not spend, let's, let's preach the word boldly, amen? The gospel, the power of God on the salvation. Let's not be on the agenda. There are some people out there that are preaching this and, 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 you know, and, and, and hate speech and so forth. We're not here to protest. We're here to preach. And over here in our text, the Bible tells us to pray. We may not be able to change their mind, but we perhaps can delay some things. We pray for those people that are in power, that are Christians, that are trying to, uh, you know, not allow this bill to pass. We pray for that. So what do we pray for? We pray for these things. We pray for wisdom. You know what the penalty is? The maximum penalty? Ten years imprisonment. Ten years! For trying to help someone that's perplexed about their gender, maybe you maybe your child to say, you know what, sweetheart, let me show you what the Bible says about gender. And let me take you to a doctor so you can understand that you have male genitals. And that is one of the identifications that you're a male. But not even a doctor can open his mouth. Did you know that? Not even a doctor. It's crazy, folks. It's almost like we're going, to, we're going to be living in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what, the, you know what the, the, the Senate in America, when he came and he prayed, he prayed, lifted up a prayer, not to the Heavenly Father. He lifted up his prayer before they started their conference or their meeting. He lifted up their prayer to the monotheistic God, I think it was. And after he finished, 
He prayed and he said, Amen and a woman. What's amen got to do with a, a, a woman or a man? A, amen is simply let it be, firm, that's right. That's when you say amen, that's what you, you're saying. Amen, that's right, let it be, that's true. So the guy doesn't even understand what he's saying. Amen, because it had A-M-E-N, because it had men in the word. And so he said amen and a woman. And he shot himself in the foot, you know why? Because he's acknowledging that there is a man and a woman. So he's discriminating on those that don't have a gender. Isn't that a bit funny? I can almost see in the background a feminist priming, priming up. Eternal God, noiselessly we bow before your throne of grace as we leave behind the May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O oh Lord, peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. Amen and a woman. We're living in a wicked world. Well, this is why the Bible says to us to pray for those kings and those that are in authority, that the king's heart be in the hand of the Lord. And God is able, praying, Lord, you're able to slow things down. We know, look, listen, Paul is not telling Timothy to pray against persecution here. We know persecution will come. So what, what, what do we pray for? He says here, very clearly, in verse 2, for kings and all those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godless, godly, uh, godliness and what? Honesty. The early church faced persecution. They were oppressed. And they were willing to die for their faith. They were living out the gospel and they were persecuted for it. And Paul is not in any way calling Timothy to pray away the inevitable. That we are going to be persecuted for our faith. Now, it's one thing to be persecuted by those that are in the world, but listen... It's another thing for the government to tell the church what to do. Because now the, the government is trying to invade church life. It used to be, you know, separated from church and state, right? But now they're trying to creep in and tell us how to live. The oppression is here. What to say, what to preach, what not to preach. In other words, we ought to be praying that the, these, the, the government and the rulers will stay away from God's business that we may be able to render to God what is God's. We, we're rendering to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Leave us alone. Let us worship in God in peace. And let us preach the word. What they're trying to do is take away our freedom to preach, thus saith the Lord. We need to continue to pray for those that are in authority that God will hold them back that we may continue to live a quiet, what's this, peaceable. In other words, a life that is not hindered by those that are trying to oppose the work of God from even the parliament. We see it on the street take place, but from those that are in authority, that no laws will be you know, put in place that will hinder our worship to God. That we may worship God in peace, that we may live godly in peace, that we may come and pray in peace, that we may preach in peace. Our liberty of preaching and practicing has always been uh, sacred. Now they're trying to take it away in these last days. I'm sure in other times and ages they had faced a similar problem. But there was one thing that the Christians were determined to do. Listen, and that was not to compromise their God-given convictions. Because here it talks about that we may live quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, listen, and honesty. What's godliness? To live godly, to live like God. In all honesty, in truth and integrity. Man, imagine there, come, there has to come a time where we have to sneak and do things in a very subtle way, and perhaps we have to say, oh, no, no there's no church 
going on here. Imagine coming to that point where you're like underground or you're trying to just be sneaky in, in a good, subtle way. Imagine that. Imagine when those times come. And by, by the way, brethren, they're coming. But we need to pray that God will continue to have the king's heart in his hand, that we may continue to, to do what God's called us to do. And, and as we have this liberty, let's get serious and go and do what God has called us to do. Because there's a time that's going to be taken away from us. And we're going to just simply be seeking God's wisdom to know more and more on what to do. Quiet life means that we should live without having any external hindrances or being threatened for living the way God wants us to live, that we would be practicing our Christian life without being harassed. You know, can you imagine if we cannot live our life for Christ as a Christian? Can you imagine that? If we cannot practice God, godliness, if we, if we cannot just simply live the way God wants us to live, can you imagine what kind? Because the Apostle Paul said, for to me to live is what? Christ. Can you imagine that you cannot live for Christ and it would be a crime to live for Christ? Can you really say then life is worth living? Because Paul said it, to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen, if I can't live this life for Christ, then life is not worth living. I might as well go home and be with the Lord, which is far better. So what do you do? You continue to live for Christ. Because if you don't, and you're just going to live and get by as if... So, well, you might as well just die. I don't know about you, but I don't just want to die without a cause. There has to be a cause. And the cause is that we live for Christ. We live godly, soberly, righteously in this present world. And if we're going to continue to practice our liberties in doing that, then the Bible says to us to pray for those that are in authority. We need to start praying seriously. I haven't really prayed seriously, maybe because it hasn't come close to home. But it's coming. It's getting closer. You know how it is. It's like a domino's effect. It hits America, and then it comes here. But it's, it's here already. It's, now, it's, it's coming. It's coming. You can see the, spirit at, the, the, the evil spirit at work. I mean, we've tasted it last year, didn't we? We, we, we just saw a little bit of it. You think the, you think the devil's going to just stop? No. May God help us. How? By lifting up our hands and praying for those that are in authority, saying, God, we're not praying that we'd escape persecution. The Bible says those that live godly shall suffer persecution. But Lord, we just want to live a quiet and peaceable life as we serve you, love you, and do the very things that please you. Living a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty is living out the will of God. Brethren, if we cannot live out the will of God here, then what are we here for? You know what the, uh, Paul said about Epaphras? Have a look at Colossians chapter 12. Leave your finger there. Turn to Colossians chapter 12. <clears throat> Colossians 4, sorry, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 12. Excuse me. It's going, I, don't know, I don't even know if I want to put this sermon on the internet. It's, it's coming to that point. What everything's perhaps going to be shut down and just forget about social media, forget about all these things, and we just have to really just do what God's called us to do here and, and how he wants us to reach the gospel, help us reach the gospel to other places. Listen, brethren, uh, we're not asking the Lord to move the heart of those that are in authority so that we could just simply go and have liberty to travel to see, you know, the world. No. The liberty is so that we can go and continue to fulfill the Great Commission. We're not asking the Lord that we may have our liberty so we can go and watch a football game. But rather that we may go out and continue to preach the word. 
Our liberties is not so that we can go and sit in sunbag somewhere on a beach, but rather that we can gather together like this and remember the sacred Lord. That's the liberty that we pray for. It's not like how the world prays for their liberty, or so we can't even have Christmas together. We can't even have dinner. And by the way, they're actually permitting you that you can actually go have dinner at a restaurant now. You know, we're going to do you a favor. At Christmas, there's no fireworks, but, or at New Year's, there's no fireworks, but you can have dinner. They're telling you that you can have dinner at a restaurant. No fireworks. Uh, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, like, you know, they're the authority. And Hey, look, listen, in New Zealand, they've already passed a law that they can actually come into your house without a warrant. And it was actually passed in the middle of this pandemic. It's, it kind of snuck in. Where everyone was kind of blindfolded, they just, they just passed it. So what do we do? Why do we pray? We're praying that God will help us live out our godly lives. And to live out our godly lives is to do the will of God. Look at notice Epaphras, Colossians 4 verse 12. Paul says about him, Epaphras, who is one of you, look at this, a servant of Christ. Don't you love that? He's just one of you, and all he is is a servant of Christ. Saluteth you. He says, hello. Look at this. Always abounding fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Amen. Perfect and complete Amen. in all the will of God. That was his prayer. And the Apostle Paul had the same desire. Have a look at chapter 1. Turn to chapter 1. The Apostle Paul had the same desire. He says in verse 27, To whom God will make known what is the riches of his glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we heard that this morning. The mystery of Christ uh, being in us and the union that we have in him and how we're married to him and how he wants to work in us. So we can be like him. Amen. And look at verse 28. Who we preach. Warning every man. Teaching every man in all wisdom. That we may present every man. What? Perfect in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of our preaching. That's the whole point of warning the believers. That's the whole point. Uh, the point of preaching Christ. Is so that we may present them. Perfect in Christ. And then notice what he says in verse 29. Paul declares that his desire to have that worked in them is the same desire that he once worked in him. Have a look. Whom I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me, what is it? Mightily. I want the same work to be done in your life like it's been done in my life. What's that work? Christ formed in you that you may be perfect in all the will of God. Amen. And by the way, when you look at the will of God, you find it in the Word of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God. you agree with that? The, the psalmist said, thy, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, it, it is for our direction into the will of God. Jesus said, no man lives on bread alone, but by every word of God. Live. The Word of God is for our living, that we may live out the Word of God, so we might know the will of God, that we live godly in this present world. Uh, the Word of God is like a mirror. We look at the Word of God, James says, and we look at it so we can see our reflection to obey it. Why? So we can live it. So we can prosper in its true sense, prosperity in the will of God. And we see also that the Word of God is like a two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, amen. Why? That it pierces us and goes straight into our hearts and tries our motives why that we may see why are we living why are we doing what we're doing as christians why am i here for what purpose there has to be a purpose in our prayers there has to be a purpose in our preaching there has to be a purpose in our practice there has to be a purpose why are we praying for these authorities there has to be a purpose that the will of God will be fulfilled in our lives, that we can have the will of God worked in our lives without being disrupted by the enemy. Because that's what God wants to do in our lives. 
The word of God is like milk. Peter says that desire the sincere milk of the word that you may what? Grow. The word of God is like meat. Meat so you can discern. Discern what? Good, evil. The will of God. That's what the word of God is for. So we'd be discerning people. Amen? And so go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter number 12. And uh, look at verse 46. Matthew 12, look at verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and he said unto the, uh, him that told him, Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Very clear, isn't it? We're closely related to Christ if we have a heart to seek the Father's will. Isn't that what God wants us to do? To seek the Father's will? I mean, this is the heart of Christ, wasn't it? Go to John chapter 4. We're praying with purpose. When we pray, there's a purpose in our prayers and I thank God for that. We're not just praying because we're praying for a purpose. We're not praying just because it's right to pray for authority and kings. Listen, we're praying with purpose. Amen. We're praying that the will of God will be fulfilled in our lives. And in by doing so, that God will hold you know, the king's heart in his hand. Man, it's a beautiful thing when you pray God intervenes. You believe in that? You have not because you what? Ask not. Have a look at John 4 and look at verse look at verse 31. They went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him or uh, him ought to eat. And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish what? His work. His work. Say not ye that there are four months and then cometh harvest. He says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he said, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may what? Rejoice together. What's the context? The will of the Father that he would go forth and seek and save that which is what? Lost. You're a byproduct here of that. If you're saved, you're a byproduct of that. Aren't you thankful that, that God used someone in your life to preach the gospel? I'm thankful. I thank God for that man that came to me in that day and challenged me with the question, where will you spend eternity? Not only this, but he challenged me with the gospel and my standing with God, and I thank God he did. Amen. I thank God he did. When people come to me and say, we just have to be more careful and tolerant and so forth and be careful we don't scare them away. I said, I wasn't scared away. I said, all my life, where was this? Yeah. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And those that are of the light, and not in darkness will come into the light. They hear and they convicted and they respond. Jesus said, those that are of the truth, hear my voice to Pilate. Yeah, don't be afraid of, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. His work was to come and seek and save. It was also to gather together the disciples, to gather together, to train them and teach them and send them forth. That they may go into the harvest as laborers to do the very will of God. That's the will of God. Jesus said to his disciples when he finished healing the man, the, the man that was born blind, I must work the work while it is what? Day. For the night cometh, listen, 
where no man can work. What was the work? Seeking people. Listen, involved in people's life. Yeah, there's a great work happening in our lives, but listen, if Christ is formed in us, then we will go out to be living like Christ. How did Christ live? Trace his life. Trace his steps. See. Yes, he had an intimate relationship with God the Father. So much so that he wanted to do his will. And listen, he went all the way to the cross and bowed his head and he said, it is finished. Wouldn't you love to come to the end of the road and say, like Paul, I finished. Like John the Baptist, I finished. How did he finish? With his head chopped off, but he finished. What kind of ministry did Stephen have? How many were saved under his hand? It's not about that. It's about finishing what God has willed for you. And in doing so, it's going out and being a witness and being a light, being a salt. This is the will of the Father. And this is what the world is trying to stop. This is what the world is trying to suppress. They want to close our mouths. They don't want us to live godly. They want us to be locked up in the home. Yep. They want us to go and just be hibernating so the devil can go out and run rampant in the homes and destroy lives. Well, this is the whole purpose. As, as a matter of fact, it is in our passage. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 3. What's the purpose in praying? That we see a work of God done in the life of the saints, that they may fulfill the will of God for what purpose? Look at verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, what are we praying for? We're praying that we may continue to reach people that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth, that they'll be saved. That the gospel light will continue to shine. The truth of God's word will not be hindered. By the way, the word of God is not bound. It's not bound. They've tried to many, many times. But over the years, the word of God's prevailed. Aren't you thankful for that? And it will continue to prevail. And thank God for that. But I love how the Apostle Paul reinforces our purpose in understanding his purpose and seeing people say, and he just kind of just wants to now give us a little bit of gospel here. Have a look. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereto I am ordained a preacher and apostle. I speak the truth in Christ. I lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now, he just can't help himself. He had to slip in the gospel right there. You know why? Because he was consumed with it. He just said, hey, Timothy, this is the purpose in praying. This is God's heart for saints and for sinners. But let me just remind you of the gospel. He gave himself a ransom. I just love that. He just stops and shares the gospel right there. You know, the gospel is the center of all that we do, my friends. It's the center of, it was the beginning and it is the end. Because he is the alpha and the, the omega and all in between. Because he is the gospel. He is the good news. It's the cross of Christ that we preach. Listen, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. And over here he just slips up and he just can't help himself. He gave himself a ransom for all. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. There's no other way that we can be reconciled to God. Good works won't do it. Being religious and attending church won't do it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. Listen, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
only time that God sees these works, these good works, these fruitful works, is when we're in Christ and God works them in our heart. And it's like an outflow as we respond and yield to his working. God sees it as a sweet-smelling savor. Only in Christ is our ransom. I'm going to touch a little bit more about ransom as we remember the Lord's Supper. But let's continue. Notice the posture of prayer. He says in verse 8, I will therefore have men everywhere lift up what? Holy hands without wrath and doubting. It was a customary for the Jews that when they prayed, they'll lift up their hands. And I believe he is encouraging Timothy to do the same. He had a Gentile father, a Jewish mother and grandmother. He's encouraging him. I would have all men everywhere lift up holy hands. And so the posture in prayer, there were many, several postures of prayer. I was sitting. David sat before the Lord and prayed. I've got all these scripture, but for the sake of time. Oh, oh, let me just mention this one. In 2 Samuel 7, 18. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? David sat before the Lord and was in awe that God would choose him. Who am I? To bring his kingdom, the Christ kingdom through his seed. Who am I? Sitting down in awe. It's like the psalmist. God is mindful of me. You should sit and in awe and commune with God. Another posture was not only sitting, but of course standing. Jesus said, when you, when you pray, stand, praying, forgive. Another posture is when Someone kneels before the Lord. Daniel knelt like he did a four time, three times a day. He knelt with thanksgiving to the Lord. The apostle Paul was, was customary to kneel. He gathered the Ephesus elders. He, he kind of encouraged them. And before he left them, the Bible says, and he knelt down and prayed with them. The next chapter he found in chapter uh, 21 in the book of Acts, certain disciples there spent about a week with him. And just before leaving them, he prayed there on, a, on the seashore, kneeling down. Kneeling down, you think, oh man, I've just got to get all dirty. What about the sand? I don't know if there was sand there, but you, get, you, get, you understand that kneeling down. There's something about kneeling. It's almost like the Catholic Church has robbed us from this, isn't it? That we can't kneel, that we... You know, and it's not for show, brethren. Remember, this is not to parade ourselves. This is to come before God in respect and honor. Amen? Amen? Not only this, but we see a falling down to the face, on your face, falling down. So you might be on your knees, and then you fall down on your face. And now we think to ourselves, oh no, that sounds a bit like Islam, when they fall down on their face like this. Yeah, but it's not falling up and down, up and down five times. It's coming before the Lord, and being broken before the Lord. The Lord Jesus, is, Jesus fell down in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on his knees and on his face because he was burdened about what was going to take place there on the cross. He foresaw the pain and the suffering well in advance and it smit him. I mean, the Hebrew writer, if you read it, don't have time to go there. But oh, he was in anguish and he just fell to the ground with his face to the ground. That's a posture of prayer. Sometimes it depicts worship. The thankful leper came back to Jesus and he fell down and worshipped him. Cornelius came to Peter and the Bible says he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Thank God for Peter when he said, stand up, I myself um, is a man, am a man, amen? Stand up, I'm just a man. Thank God for that. It reminds me of one time when I went to Perth, we went out with a friend. We were waiting for time to pass and the best time to spend is to go out witnessing. We went out for about three, four hours in the city of Perth. It was tremendous. I'll never forget it. It's great. I mean, the best time of witnessing is when you don't look at your watch. You just go and you're just in the spirit and you just don't want to leave. That's the best. And anyway, we were there and this big bodybuilder came to one of my friends. And my friends was witnessing to him. I was witnessing to another person. And all of a sudden, by the time he finished with him, he was there for a while. And by the time he finished with him, the guy grabbed his hand and he said, thank you, thank you. And he, he went to kiss it. And uh, my friend called me, he said, Charlie, I looked like that. He goes, I said, pull back, pull back, <laughs> just pull back. And the guy says, mm, oh, thank you. He's a big bodybuilder. And he couldn't, he, he was a, very appreciative of this gospel. 
<laughs> yeah, but, but, and it's very good to say, listen, the words that I speak unto you, they're words of life and they come from heaven. Pull back. Don't take the praise. Just channel it back to God. I'm just a man. These are the words of life. Hey, they spoke with boldness. You know why? Because they've been with Jesus. Yeah, they couldn't understand that these unloaded men would speak with boldness. But they understood one thing. Man, this is like the life of Christ. Amen. Praise God for that. Not only this, but we see that uh, we pray also with our holy hands, with the context. But you can pray on your knees with your hands lifted up to God like this. Not only standing, you can, play, you can pray standing with your hands up. And again, when we do this, we think, oh, here we go, Hillsong. It's almost like every tradition, religion's robbed us from something. But it's biblical here, especially if it's done with the right heart. So a lot of people, especially in the independent Baptist movement, say, oh, this is just for the Jews. Well, now you're being like the charismatic person that says that woman preaches is just for back, back for that day too. Which is, we've got to be very careful. Uh, and I know at times, you know, the charismatic movement, they say that you can, women can preach because the passage, very the same passage, First Timothy chapter 2, talks about how a woman ought not to serve authority over a man or teach a man. But they say, well, that's just for back then. That's not for now. And we need to be very careful. There are some things that are traditional that can be carried over and you don't necessarily have to practice them. Uh, you know, it was customary, but if the Bible instructs it or the Bible for forbids it, we must agree with it, amen? We must submit ourselves to it, especially if it's clear and as clear as crystal. But, you know, I remember that time, Gunnar, I told you about seeking the Lord and beseeching Him and pray, and you went in your room and Debbie went in the other room and you, did you lift up those hands? There's something about just beseeching the Lord, interceding. Uh, in such a way that he would come and work and take over. There's something, the posture of prayer, of beseeching or kneeling, it's, it's, a, it's reverent, man. I don't know about you, but if you're just sitting down like this and it's hot and you pray and you just, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, so the posture helps us at least, humanly speaking, to be engaged and focused. But it needs to be a reflection of our heart and what's going on here. If nothing's going on here, then of course. And I'm not saying that you have to have some sort of posture because you can be sitting like this and just communing with your heart. You, you get what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say the posture is going to make you spiritual. All I'm saying is that the posture had an attitude toward God. You know, where you're pleading with God or you're worshipping God or you're praising God and it helps. It helps for me. Um, but of course, it has to be done with the right heart. The posture of the heart is so important, isn't it? But I love King Solomon's prayer when he was de dedicating the temple of the Lord. Don't have to turn there, but the Bible says it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all his prayer and supplication unto God, he arose before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands. So... That was a normal customary thing. And, and uh, if you don't feel comfortable for whatever reason, when you're caught to pray to do it here, man, try it at home. <laughs> you know, come before the Lord and lift up those holy hands. Men, when you're praying everywhere, lift up the... Sometimes, you know, because we're not used to it, we're thinking, oh. you know, because you know, it's, not, it's not a customary to us. Oh, I wonder if my brethren are going to think I'm charismatic now. So we do it half-hearted. But it's, it's in the text. Now, you don't have to do it, I guess, but he's asking, I would have it, all men everywhere to pray with holy hands. So, lifting up holy hands. And I guess this is the main emphasis, isn't it? Have a look at verse 8. I will therefore have every man everywhere lift up holy Now, this is the power of prayer. This is it. And I just want to have, just give me a five or ten minutes just to finish with this, please. But this is the power there. We just spoke about purpose. This is the power. This is it right here. Three requirements to have our prayers answered. Three. The worst thing as a Christian is when you have your prayers hindered. I mean, you can do this, but there's nothing. As a matter of fact, uh, your prayers are not even going past the ceiling. Why? Because perhaps there's something taking place and he lists three things here. 
I want to go backwards because I want to labor on the first. So let me go backwards. I will therefore have men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, praying without doubt is what he wants us to do. And if anything hinders our prayer is when we pray with doubt in our heart. Jesus preached on this or taught this, that he wanted his disciples to believe in God. He says very clearly, have faith in God. And he teaches them about the mustard seed, that if they have faith as little as a mustard seed, they can make a, they can make a mountain move. And then he says this, I want you to listen very carefully. He says, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and, it shall, and ye shall have them. Now, do you believe that verse? I do. Especially if my heart is in tune with the will of God. If I'm praying with purpose, and I'm praying for the saints, I'm praying for sinners, I'm praying for the government, I know that this is a prayer that God wants me to pray because it's in the inspired word of God. Why can't I pray believing that? And why can't I pray knowing that God is going to intervene? I, and I pray that way. And I thank God in advance for what he will do. Because God hears the prayers of the righteous. But he won't hear the prayers of those that doubt. When he says pray for wisdom, he says pray in faith without what? Wavering. Without doubting. A man that doubts is tossed to and fro. And he's not going to receive anything from the Lord. I have to pray for wisdom, but I have to pray in faith. It's the worst thing to be, by the way, caught in a rip. You're just tossed to and fro. You don't really get anywhere. And when you're not praying in faith, you're not really getting anywhere. And then he says, secondly, pray without wrath. Pray without wrath. You know, in the very same context that Jesus taught his disciples to have faith in God and not not, you know, pray believing, he actually even encourages them to stand and pray and forgive. If anything brings wrath in the heart of a person is unforgiveness. And there's no way in the world that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, which is a result of resentment, bitterness, and holding grudges, that God will hear you. I have to deal with that resentment. I have to deal with bitterness in my heart. I have to forgive people that have hurt me. I have to. By the way, don't you want to be forgiven? Amen. Absolutely. I, I want to be forgiven. Then if you want to be forgiven, you need to forgive. And so without wrath, and by the way, Christian, let me encourage you with this. We should never allow our righteous indignation to spill over and turn into sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Yeah, we can, I could be affirmed, Daniel Andrews and all this, and, this, and all of a sudden it could turn into something like it's consuming me. Instead of praying for the guy, all I'm doing is bagging me out. You know, you've got these sarcasm things and pictures of him, comics. and the, I, I don't want any of that. Because I know that's going to hinder me from praying genuinely for him. And so we've just got to make sure and say, man, this guy's really taken by the devil, man. I mean, seriously, he's a puppet. Our, our Prime Minister, you, you can see the poor guy. I, you, I mean, you, you just watch the guy and you can think, man, this guy, I don't think he knows what he's saying. Poor guy, what's he doing? We've got to pray for him, look at and pity him. If we start just getting really upset, like some people get upset with the referee because he made a bad call, then you're in trouble. I've been back, back in the days when I went to a football game. I used to watch people sit next to me, man, just give it to the referee, man. Just really give it to him. And the guy's just trying to do his job. Sometimes we can grow bitter against those that don't, know, they don't even know what they're doing. So we just need to be praying for them lest the wrath enters into our heart and our prayers are not genuine. Don't you want your prayers to be genuine? And then, of course, he says, lift up holy hands. Holy not dirty hands, clean hands, which is a reflection of our heart. I think James says it, to add a bit more strength, James says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Look at this, ye double-minded. I think one of the greatest hindrances 
is living a double life. Having sin in our life unconfessed, an untamed tongue, a dirty hand is a reflection of a dirty heart. And there's no doubt about that. James hits the nail on the head. And listen, prayers that have power demand a life that is upright before the Lord, that loves others and loves God supremely. Hypocritical, double mind, double tongue. Listen, unclean hands. Living a double life, one foot in the world, one foot, you know, in, in the things that it doesn't work. Unclean hands. Gossip, tail-bearing, evil speaking, malice, unclean hands laid aside. God wants holy hands. And we know the psalmist says that if anyone has to be, or anyone desires to be in the, in the presence of God, it's those that have an upright heart toward God. And God will hear them. Proverbs 15 verse 8, the prayer of the upright is his delight. Psalm 66 verse 8, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Turn to Jeremiah 7, just quickly, Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7. Look at verse 9 and 10 for the sake of time. We can't read. We'd like to read the context, but I'll just paraphrase. Jeremiah 7, 9 and 10. He says, Will ye still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense unto Baal, walk after other gods whom ye not know, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and look at this, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Man, these guys were, were like going to a, a confession box and confessing their sins to a priest with the notion of, hey, we're going to commit these things again. Hey, God's forgiven us. We've been freed because we've done our daily sacrifice or our, our required sacrifice. Uh, we're covered. See the attitude of the heart? Uh, God forgives. And there's no doubt about that, brethren. We understand he does. God has mercy upon those that come to him in a very genuine way. God has mercy upon those that fear him. These guys, no fear. These guys, dabbling in sin, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And have a look. You know, I mean, Je Je Jeremiah accuses them of going, you know, through the motions, going through the temple requirements, but lacking a heart for God. This is what he's accusing them of. I mean, it was God that sent him to prophesy against these people with no intention of changing, with no intention of just wanting to have this, you know, heart cleansed. As a matter of fact, they used it as a license to sin and continue to dabble with the things they wanted to do. I mean, for the Jews, going to the temple was a place to commune with God, but they made it as a place of a confession of, hey, listen, this is what we've done. We're, 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 we, yeah, let, let it be covered, and see you later. We're just going to go do it again. Brethren, any one of us here, when we come before God, it's a place of communion where we come to meet God. We can go home in our closet, meet God there. We can be here in church, meet God here. The Lord's Supper is not a place that you can go and spill your sins and guts and then go and live for another month the way you want. It was never intended for that. It was never intended for that. We know the Lord's Supper is going to come and all of a sudden, yeah, okay, well, just, you know, I'll wait for the Lord's Supper and then I'll just, you know, just get right with God. That's not a daily walk with God. Is it? Have a look at the next verse. Look at verse 11. In this house, which is called by my name, became a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. When Jesus saw this kind of attitude happening in the temple, what did he say? This is a house of prayer. And you have made it into a den of thieves. 
The house of God is not just to come and confess. The house is a place of God where we come together and what? Pray. We seek God with holy hands. Reminds me of a story of a man. He, was, he had a prayer partner every week. And he would pray the same sins over and over and over again. It was a young Christian with an older Christian. And the old man one day, you know, just really was burdened to pray he, for this man. Because the same things over and over again. You hear this young man pray, Lord, help get the cobwebs out of my life. Get rid of them. And every week, in, week out, we're in, week in, week out, get the cobwebs out of my life. Get the cobwebs out of my life. Get these, Lord. I'm just struggling with these over and over and over again. And the man just thought, you know what? One day he's going to pray for him something different. So he prayed for his friend and he got down and he says, Lord, kill the spider. <laughs> kill it. And we pray and we confess the same. One year passes, we're still, we haven't grown. But you know why? Because there's something wrong with our communion with God. Because the more you grow closer to God and your heart is knitted to God, you learn His ways. It's a, parab- it's a, it's a proverb. He that dwells with the wise or he, he that is amongst the wise, will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. If you learn the ways of an angry man, you know, if you have sweet communion with the Lord in prayer and your heart is knitted with his heart, guess what? You're going to learn God's ways. And God's going to work in your heart to get rid of these cobwebs. Why? Because there's root problems that need to be dealt with. And when we get down to the heart of the matter, that's when we just say, hey, you know, holy hands, Lord God, I don't want this in my life. I'm done with it. I surrender this. It's absolutely disgusting. Coming to God in prayer is not a confession box. It's a time where we commune with God and we want God to do an everlasting change in our hearts. Amen? Amen? When you pray... And you lift up these holy hands without wrath and doubting. Guess what's going to happen? Your prayers are going to be answered. Powerful prayers are prayers that are heard by God. I don't know about you, but I don't think anyone in this room wouldn't say that they wouldn't like their prayers heard. The psalmist cried unto the Lord with his voice and the Lord heard him. He said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. When God hears my prayer, do you know what that communicates to me? Listen. That my relationship with God is so close and intimate. When I see God answer my prayer, that means my heart is knit with his heart. And that is the biggest blessing, greater than my prayer being answered. To know I am in the will of God. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting to see God answer prayer. But how was that prayer answered? That specific, listen pointed prayer that you were praying and you're watching to see God at work because remember it's purposeful and, I, and sometimes it's just general we saw it just recently God come and heal a man from, from trouble but I'm just saying more personal pointed prayers that you see God doing things and it's so addictive brethren you say what seeing your prayers answers no just walking with God hearing and God hearing you No matter what men may say or what they want or expect, you know that you're walking with God and you have a communion with God. Why? Because He hears you. His ear is unto your prayer. Listen, and you know it. And you have communion with God. Why? You're in fellowship with God. Yes, no good thing will He withhold from them that walk up rightly but the greatest thing is knowing that i am in fellowship with god why because i'm following him and i'm doing his will and as a result god is answering my prayer first timothy 2 verse 8 i will therefore have men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting for what purpose 
What's the purpose? Listen, that God's will be done. That's the purpose. And it's an absolute joy to see God's will be done. Because that's the power of prayer. That God is working His will in your life. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. What a prayer. What a prayer of our Master, our Saviour. That ought to be the prayer of every single one of us. And that is purposeful. Listen, and there lies the power of prayer. Let's pray.